0: So this is the last lesson of the summer quarter, lesson 13. The title of the lesson is The Wisdom of God's Creation, and the scriptures are Proverbs chapters 30 and 31. So we start off on section A, which is human limitations. Humans do have some limitations, and that's verses 1 through 9. So can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 30? Okay, thank you, ma'am. That's some good stuff, huh? So the authors of chapters 30 and 31 are no longer Solomon. We have two authors. One is this augur, the son of Jaca. And then chapter 31, are the author is King Lemuel. And so very little, if anything, is known about these authors. The quarterly believes, without proof, that Augur was an Ishmaelite, but I prefer to believe that if it is unknown, it is probably a Jewish man. And the reason I believe that is from Romans 3 and verse 2. I'll go back to verse 1. What advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. This book is Jewish. Jews wrote it. And, you know, there was a debate about whether Luke was a Jew um, that I've I've seen two or three authors um, argue very persuasively that, yes, Luke was Jewish also. So I I think probably these people are Jewish, most likely because of that. But that is not supported by data because there's no data about it. So um, that's just what I think. So verses two and three, he kind of berates himself, doesn't he? Yeah, my this is a different um, translation than Monica had, but. Mine's the N-A-S-B. Surely I am more stupid than any man, and I do not have the understanding of a man. Neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. So the quarterly mentioned that wisdom starts in realizing how little you know. Yeah, so we want to be teachable, right? This is from the quarterly. True knowledge and wisdom produce humility before God and others. When you start to learn, you realize, wow, there's a lot of stuff I don't know still. Yeah. So verse four, who has ascended into heaven and descended, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped the waters in his garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name or his son's name? That's interesting. It says, surely you know. This sounds like Job's test, Job's pop quiz from God. So let's take a look at Job's pop quiz. I won't look at the the whole thing because it's quite long. But he God gave Job a very extensive pop quiz, and Job wasn't able to answer a thing to it. It's Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. This is God talking to him. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So those are the angels. Mm-hmm. Or who enclosed the, the sea with doors when blur- bursting forth it went out from the womb? So that's just the start of his quiz. And, um, you know, it verse 4 makes me think of the evolutionists. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, these evolutionists—they weren't there, you know—we weren't there either. But God was there. The wise thing is to listen to the one who is there, and that's what Dame has been teaching us on the first cha- uh, eleven chapters of Genesis, how things actually began. So Augur appeared to understand. The distinction between the Father and the Son, and the persons of the Godhead, persons within one God. Now, verses 5 and 6 is, are important verses, too. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. And then do not add to His words, for He will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Can you think of anybody who adds to God's words? You can. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Or just change God's words to what you like. Yeah. Instead of what they are. Yes. So the Mormons are very prolific at this. They have all sorts of extra biblical texts that they hold to. The fact of the matter is God is love. And yet he will do that. But He isn't the one who does it. The individual does it themselves. It's their choice. It's their choice to go to hell. So um, God doesn't send you to hell. People go to hell on their own. Yeah, so every word is tested of this book, which is what makes it so precious. And uh, in our reading... For the church through the Bible, we recently went through Psalm one nineteen, which is a very long psalm. And psalm one nineteen eighty nine says, "Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven." So this book is reliable. It's something we can hang on to. Yes, that is exactly right. So. um he says, do not add to his words, but I mean this is finite. The words of God That's right. The word you know, this is this is a manageable book. It's a big book, but it is not an infinite book. And so you can you can learn it. And also I'm gonna read what Monica was quoting there. That's second Timothy three sixteen. It was a 316, yes. And this uh, tells us something that uh, many churches forget. So it says, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It doesn't say most good works. It doesn't say some good works. So, what does that mean is that the Bible is sufficient. It is enough. Nothing else is needed. Thanks. So, what does this mean to us? Because we go to school and we learn certain things. We learn human philosophy. Human philosophy is unnecessary. Wow. Like. <laughs> yeah, or. Or Plato or Socrates or Aristotle, these are people who or Confucius. these are people who sound very smart, but they're not smart because they don't align with this. so we reject human philosophy if it does not align with this, we reject secular psychology because secular psychology is horrific because it really does not align with this. So we reject secular psychology, we reject human sociology, and we don't need marketing. Which is, you know, I've been to church growth seminars, which are marketing seminars. And that is not how the church is built. The church is, Jesus builds the church. It's his church. He builds it. Our job is to believe in him and then listen to his word and teach His Word. He is the Word. He is the Word. Yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, yes, so if we want to hear from Jesus, we read this, or we listen to this. This is God's Word. It is all that is required. We don't need all these other things. And, uh, you know, we can look at human philosophy, we can look at psychology and see where it differs from this, knowing that wherever it differs, it must be immediately rejected (laughs) with prejudice, because we're in a war, and it's a war of ideas. It's a spiritual war. So anyway, yes. Yes. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So um, that's why, you know, Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. And the transformation of your mind comes from God's Word. So, yeah, all those things that we, you know, pay a lot of money in college to learn, philosophy, psychology, and things like that, um, are to be rejected that are to be rejected. You know, all through if you read through Psalm 119, it, it tells you over and over if you pay attention to God's word, it makes you more wise than your enemies. It makes you more wise than those who are older than you. If you pay t- attention to God's word, it makes you wise. So, um so what we're doing now is very worthwhile. Yeah. Stoicism, you know, sounds good, but boy, it's hopeless. Stoicism. There's no hope in it at all. It's just, just do the right thing. It doesn't matter. You can die in the end. It's, you know, it's hopeless. This is not hopeless because this tells us our future. And it tells us that God loves us. And that's why he died for us. He loves us. And uh, so there's great hope. In the Bible. So then, verses, another corollary is you know, this is a complete revelation. There's no more coming. It tells us from eternity past to eternity future. It tells us all of time what is going to happen, you know. And so the Lord says, in, well, this is one place, do not add to his words. There are no prophets today on the level of the biblical prophets. Uh, you know, where, like Jeremiah, where the Lord told him, write this down because this is going to be uh, enshrined eternally, these words. Or the Apostle Paul, you know, what we just read, Second Timothy, enshrined eternally. Um, there are a lot of people who claim to be prophets today. They're false prophets. They're false. So, um, and if you go to a charismatic church and you say that, you'll get a lot of flack. A lot of flack. Because they think there are prophets. But then ask them to say, okay, you mean on the level of scripture? And they'll have to backtrack a little there. So, um... Yeah, I've had you know I've had a couple times in my life where I've had impressions that turned out to be true. You know, when I was in my fellowship, I was I was looking into the OR. My chief was doing a case, and an impression came to me: "You do not belong here. This will not last." Heart surgery. That came true. You know, and I've had a couple of things like that, you know, and I think that was the Lord, you know, for a private thing for me. But, um, you know, yeah, spirit guide. <laughs> so verses seven through nine are interesting. Two things I asked of you, do not refuse me. Number one, keep me from deception and lies. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. So make me uh, middle class. Because with uh, riches, you can be full and deny the Lord. I don't need God. I have what I need, right? And if you're too poor, you'll be tempted to steal and profane God. So he's asking to be middle class. (laughs) So not not too wealthy, not too poor. Okay, so section B is about vicious people. Somebody want to read that ten through seventeen okay thank you ma'am yes, sir. now that's that was not a nice <laughs> passage was it <laughs> that was not a nice passage so um, and most of it is about teaching uh, treating your parents poorly right that's bad that's bad to treat your parents poorly. So verse 10, do not slander a slave to his master, or he, that's the master, will curse you and you will be found guilty. Uh, slander is never justified. What is slander? Yeah, yeah, it's it's falsehood, you know, it's making, it's saying false bad things about someone, uh, you know, t- yeah, to to ruin them. Yeah, that that's the the reason is to ruin them. So slanders never never justified. If you have an issue with someone, first speak with them directly, and not somebody say, well, else. Ever been slandered I, I think most people don't get through life without being slandered at least once. So our you know our speech is very powerful because we're image bearers of God, and when God spoke the earth the universe came into being so we are not that powerful but we are speech is very powerful so you got to be careful with it yeah i don't remember the reference but that is true life and death is in the power of the tongue so verse 11 there is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother so this is the opposite of what God tells us to do, right? He tells us to honor our parents. Anybody know the penalty for cursing your parents in the Mosaic Law? This is Exodus 21.15. Uh, yeah, he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 17, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. I don't know if that sentence was ever carried out. I I thought it was, but I I looked and I couldn't find it. so the penalty in the Mosaic law for dishonoring your parents was death. Um, And we know that honoring your parents, the Lord would extend your life. And actually that promise is repeated in the epistles, which are to the church. That promise applies to the church. That applies to us now. So we want to honor our parents so the Lord will keep us going. <laughs> if for no other reason, if you have no other reason, you do it for selfish reasons <laughs> because you want to keep going, you know? How do you do that if you have a bad parent? You do it anyway. Yeah. You you respect them, you know? Yeah. You, you know, just like... I, I I think it's the, th- the same thing as the government, is your relationship with the government. You obey the government until it tells you to disobey God, and then you no longer obey. And you do the same thing with a parent. Who isn't. That's what I told the So verse 12, again, this is, uh, there is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Okay. Who would that be? Well, I don't know. I'm sure there are many. That's the self-righteous, right? The Pharisees were examples of this. People. But they are right, yeah, and they and they twisted the law so that they could didn't have to obey it. So it says they're not washed from their filthiness. How does one become washed from his filthiness? What's the first step? Recognize From the Jesus. Come to Jesus. That is the first step. Um, Yeah. You know, John 13, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. I think, I can't remember if uh, Judas... Yeah, so anyway, I'll just read this section. Then he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus said, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Okay, so Judas was there. So if you bathing is when you believe. You know, the Philippian jail's, jailer said, how shall I be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. That's how you bathe. That is a one-time thing with permanent result. You will go to heaven after one belief. Isn't there a right. And that, that's what Jesus is doing here. Because Christians, after they believe, will sin. They will get their feet dirty. Okay? Are they going to heaven? Yes. They're always going to heaven. But they lose their usefulness to the Lord. And so that is why we have... So bathing is John 3.16. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's the verse that saved me. That's a that's obedience, and that you know that's the rest of our life is is growing in the Lord and becoming more Christ-like as we grow in the Lord, and that's where we need First John one nine. That is for the believer. If we confess our sins. God knows that Christian sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from no, all unrighteousness. So this washing that he's doing is symbolic for the Christian life. You know, you get saved. You're eternally saved. But when you're newly saved, you're still—your mind is still worldly, and you have to learn— how to think more like god and that is where the bible is essential and as you sin you'll break fellowship with god you're still saved but there's no intimate relationship anymore just like when you get in a fight with your spouse or a fight with your parents there's no fellowship until you confess and forgiveness takes place and then the fellowship is restored so that's that's first John one nine is extremely important verse for the believer to restore fellowship when we sin because we we do pardoner, Pardon yes, and he will always forgive you, he's promised to yes, if you confess your sin, he will forgive you, yeah, so the leech has two daughters give, give. And then he goes to several other things that will not be satisfied. And remember, in the context, he's talking about these these people that curse their parents. And they think they're righteous, but they're filthy. So um, Sheol, which is the grave, the barren womb, which is an empty womb, the earth that is never satisfied with water, that's the desert, and fire that never says enough. So that's a, the flame that burns everything to a crisp. So what are these all pictures of? There's like emptiness, right? Emptiness, death. I mean, that's what that is. Uh, you know, a woman who wants a baby and can't uh, get pregnant. You know, that is a horrible place to be. And uh, you know, so they're um. Yeah, the quarterly said it's a picture of emptiness, which I I think that's probably true. And greed leaves you empty. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. Never have enough. Never have enough, you know. So uh, putting all your hope in things will leave you empty. Yeah, And and he is always there. How long do we get the Holy Spirit when we believe forever, even when you sin, yeah, even when you sin and the fellowship is broken, the Holy Spirit is still there. The Holy Spirit is the one that is making you feel, they feel they bad. <laughs> you feel like that. that's right. the F- Holy Spirit is that there saying, "Turn it around there brother." <laughs> <laughs> he's it on you, because he's not going to go away. So, um, so okay, that's it with vicious people. Now, section C is amazing things. And that's verses 18 through 23. Want me to read that one? I'll read that one. Okay. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, for which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up. Under a slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is satisfied with food, under an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she supplants her mistress. So these are numerical proverbs. I think they're mnemonics. So all these these things that he's talking about here are kind of uh, mysteries. Starting at verse 18, three things to for wonderful me, four which I do not understand. And then he goes on to list four different things. What What is the common thing in these four examples? In these uh, examples, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid, do they have anything in common? They're all moving, yeah. And there's not really a path, is there? There's not really a path. Wave an eagle in the sky, serpent on a rock, ship in the middle of the sea. Um, Yeah, that's what the uh, quarterly was saying. They have a certain mystery to them or their paths are uncharted. And it, it talks about the way of a man with a maid, so courting. The affectionate courting of a man with a maid, it puts in that category. So this is a mystery, and I have trouble understanding this. (laughs) I don't know what to say about that too much. That's what he said. That's what he said, yeah. But then contrast that, so it starts, goes through those, and then it contrasts that with the adulterous woman. Okay. She eats, she wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Now, why do you think an adulterous woman would say that? Do you think that they might be feel like they're justified? An adulterous woman?
1: That's what I need she, to do to survive Yeah, so like they're in an
0: un you know what in the one of the next verses it says, An unloved woman when she gets a husband. So she's married, her husband does not love her, does not treat her as you know, a married husband should treat his wife. He, how should he do that? He should love her like Christ loved the church. He should give himself up for her. He should dote on her. You know, he should be affectionate toward her. And so she feels justified if she goes outside of that relationship for comfort. You know, and so now is that? What does? What would God say about that? Yeah. It's. It's not justified. <laughs> that is not justified. No, but you can see how someone might feel it is, right, if they were in a bad marriage. Um, so we got to treat each other in our marriages the way the Lord tells us to, to avoid st- stuff like that. So then uh, verses 21 through 23 are some occurrences that are injustices. That's why it says, under three things, with quakes, because they're injustices. And under four, it cannot bear up under a slave when he becomes king. Okay, that is something that should not happen. A slave should not become king. Is that like oh, He listed four amazing occurrences that he considered to be unbearable. They were servants who become kings, fools who prospered, married women who are unloved by their husbands, so that, you know, it's the one that might be tempted to adultery, and female servants who are treated better, better than the wife of the household. Augurs' disgust for these occurrences should not be mistaken as bigotry or sour grapes on his part. Instead, his anger stemmed from the fact that all of these examples represent great injustices. And that's all I have to say about that. That section, I thought, was that was difficult for me. Okay, so section D is examples from nature, 24 through 33. Okay, 24 through 33. Four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. The Shiphonim are not mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. The lizard you may grasp with the hands, yet it is in king's palaces. There are three things which are stately in their march, even four which are stately when they walk. The lion which is mighty among beasts and does not retreat before any. The strutting rooster, the male goat also, and a king when his army is with him. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth, for the churning of milk produces butter, and pressing the nose brings forth blood, so the churning of anger produces strife. So verses 24 through 28, these are four small animals demonstrating wisdom in various ways. Uh, it's they're like little little badger like uh critters like little gophers yeah yeah my translation calls them chefanim so um chefanim yeah nva calls them hyrax. so yeah the ant will store up provisions for later the hyrax or cheffanim will find shelter in places that are not hospitable. The locusts work together very efficiently. They can eat all your food and your crops very quick. (laughs) Yeah. And the lizard is bold. He lives in a king's house. (laughs) That was from the quarterly. So verses 29 through 31 are some more stately creatures. A lion, strutting rooster... I don't really think of as being stately, but a male goat and a king with his army. Verses 32 and 33 are warning against two things. One, self-promotion, if you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil. Put your hand on your mouth. For if you do those things, you are churning anger and it'll produce strife. It's like churning milk produces butter, and punching somebody in the nose makes blood. Well, I before we end Proverbs, I do want to read about the noble woman, and then I'll stop talking. <laughs> so a noble woman is Proverbs 31, verses 10 through the end. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her from the gates. Amen. Amen.